Hi everyone, I'm Claire Omnadic. Hey Claire. Yeah. <laughs> um, four years next week. Not this week, but I stood up this week. It's a little bit of a lie. I stood up this week because I'm sharing in my home group, my home group birthday share, so I thought I'd get it this week, but it's next Wednesday. And this time, four years ago, I was using, um, having completed and graduated and had my family congratulate me during a graduation of my fourth treatment centre. Um, and six weeks later, I was back in another one. Um, and that's kind of like the story of my using in that, you know, I'd, I'd be stopped um, by be put, being put in an institution and then I'd always use again. And I just did not get it. I didn't get why that kept happening. Um, so I suppose going back, you know, I'll explain what, what led to my relapses in, in hindsight, I can see some of that. But um, <coughs> what I know is that I suppose when I first started taking drugs and drinking, drugs gave me something and they took away something. So they gave me, I like getting high, I like the way they make me feel, and I like, um, I specifically like to be like head on the table. I like those kind of drugs. Um, <coughs> So they gave me that, they gave me that good feeling, they took away feelings that I didn't like, um, which I'd never, I could never identify as fear. I, um, I was labelled as um, like anxious, depressed, and treated accordingly. Um, but I would, never, I would never be able to identify that I was scared or I was frightened. I just had symptoms of it. So I was treated for those symptoms. And, you know, right going back, I think the first substance that I abused was medication. Um, you know, I was prescribed various different things resulting in, you know, benzo script. Um, and they, I like the way they make me feel. I liked that they made me go to sleep. I liked that I woke up feeling all right, calm, not like choked with anxiety. Um, and I didn't really have a specific reason to feel that way. It was just my natural state, my natural state, you know, like, um, like a hand around my throat, a weight on my chest, and like a butterfly in my heart, and it was just horrible. So certain drugs took that away, and the first thing being benzos. And I was prescribed this um, benzo script, you know, and, and I'd take much more than I was prescribed. I'd take the mum's script in a few days, and then not have any. I never was dependent on benzos, but you know, I had a script for years. But um, for me, things. There's drugs I don't like. Um, for me, drinking, I liked drinking, but I didn't like what happened when I drank. Um, alcohol for me is a bit like truth serum, where I tell everyone exactly what I think about them. Um, so I didn't like the consequences of me drinking. But what I discovered, you know, in the circle that I was mixing with, which were, you know, a group of girls just like me and a group of much older men who sold drugs, um, what I discovered is if you take cocaine and drink like that, you don't get in the state that you do if you just drink. So I thought that was the solution to my drinking problem. So, you know, with, you know, I hated amphetamine, <coughs> took loads of it. I'm the type of person to take some speed as we're leaving the club and um, wonder why I'm rocking in a corner two, three days later. 
um, wishing I'd never touched it. But for me, just rolling forward a bit, heroin hit the spot and, um, and I got stuck on it. And I didn't plan that. That wasn't in my life goal plan. That wasn't my ambition at all. I had an ambition to be a nurse and I went to um, <coughs> university to study to be a nurse. <coughs> and, um, you know, with all the, I went to a prestigious university and, I, you know, my family were very, very proud, you know, to get a degree. Uh, but I left uh, about 18 months into it with a heroin habit. Um, that wasn't the plan at all. But for me, I just lie. And um, I maintained a facade of being okay for a couple <coughs> of years on that. Um, and in that, I kind of moved about a lot, thinking where I lived was the problem and who I'm with is the problem. But I haven't got the courage to come out of that, so I stay in it anyway and think that's why I'm using. But um, I think when I started using crack, things started crumbling quick. So I think by the time I was about 19, I was shot to bits. <coughs> and because I was so young and, and involved with treatment services that young, social services just come around and whip you into a treatment centre. That's what happened for me back then. And um, I remember going into this treatment centre and I'd done this detox. And I'd done this detox at my mum's house where they just stopped my methadone at 30 mils and put me to sleep. And... Um, I was asleep for about five days, and a psychiatric nurse had come in every day. And um, I remember when I came round, I really thought that I'd be free of drugs and I'd go into this treatment centre and everything would be all right. And what happened is I came round and I found myself begging my mum to buy me some gear. Um, and she was horrified, I was horrified, I didn't know I was doing it. Um, and I couldn't explain that. I couldn't, I, I couldn't explain that for years. I know now that... You know, this illness was, was active, active in me still, drug-free. Um, yeah, so I went to this treatment centre. Um, and what I sort of understand now, again, in hindsight, is that I don't follow rules very well. Um, so I went in and found myself a new boyfriend. I already had one, but I found myself a new one and um, focus on that and now I understand why they say don't do that but back then I didn't know why they said that so it'd be like who's doing the shopping this week? Claire and Nick who's going to church on Sunday? Claire and Nick who's doing the cooking this week? Claire and Nick um, so we were just locked in that really and um, ended up getting thrown out of there and we were clean so in my eyes, you know, it's done its job. But um, what happened is we went to live in London. We were living in a and b in the East End, which was really pretty. Um, <coughs> and Christmas came. And I absolutely had no surrender around a drink. I knew that heroin and crack had led me to, for my life to fall apart and for all the relationships around me to start breaking down. But as far as I was concerned, alcohol didn't do that to me. So we decided we'd have a Christmas drink, because everyone does that. So we had a Christmas drink, um, and then a Christmas pipe, <laughs> and then a Christmas hit, <laughs> and, uh, <coughs> and 
you know, I half say it in jest, but it was really sad. Um, that relapse lasted seven years. That, again, was not in the plan. Um, I was saying to the girls on the way up here, like, I was clearly not tolerating drugs very well. So every time I had a pipe, I'd vomit. For three months, every time I had a pipe, I'd vomit. So I lost about three, two and a half, three stone really quickly. And um, me vomiting all the time led to us getting arrested one day. I won't go into the story, but we got followed by the police and stopped. And because I was vomiting out the window, we got stopped and uh, arrested. So things weren't going very well quite quickly. Um, so basically, we spent the next seven years um, in the relentless pursuit of money for drugs. Um, I'm a shoplifter, Nick's a car thief. I became that too. Um, I destroyed the relationships within my family in that time. Um, and it ended up, you know, Nick was in and out of prison a lot. I'd go in and out of treatment centres and again just could not stick to the rules. I'm, it's like I, I'm desperate, desperate to go in there. And then when I get there, I just do everything wrong, you know, like... I suppose they call it sabotage, don't they? But I just... It's like rules don't apply to me. I just think I'm different. And although I relate to other people's stories of drug addiction, I don't relate to how behaviour relates to that. So, um, you know, I wander about with a cloth, looking busy on a TD day. <laughs> um, so I don't really do very well in there. My thing is, generally, I'm either going to use in there... I'm going to get in a relationship. Um, most likely I'm going to use. So, my experience of treatment is that they remove me from the problem, but the problem is within me. So, I take it in there. Um, so, yeah, I came out of this treatment centre. Like I said, I've finally graduated from one. Um, you know, my sister sat there and said, I'm so happy to have my sister back. It's taken 15 years to get my sister back. And six weeks later I was back in and um, I didn't have an explanation for it. I remember ringing my mum, someone forced me to ring her and say I was being driven back to another treatment centre. And she went, why? Why are you going back in there? You haven't used, have you? And I went, yeah, I have. And she went, oh my God, why? And I just went, I don't know. And um, that relapse was pretty short in comparison to the seven years, but, you know, some people stepped in and I got put back in another treatment centre. And um, I left there five days clean. Um, and I think what happened for me in that time, thank God I was in there, because I don't think I'd have got through necessarily without being taken out of it again, but went back in there and in that space I broke inside. Um, I broke sufficiently to be willing to do what someone told me to do. And I'd been in fellowship. I've, I've done six months in treatment. I'd been in H&I. Someone had carried a message to me and I'd got a sponsor. But what I didn't relate with this programme of recovery was that you behave differently. You change. So what I would do is I'd go to my sponsors and I'd read out my step five and, you know, we'd pray together. And then I'd go shoplifting or you know, up to no good. And I remember, you know, being in Boscombe and I bumped into someone that was using, he was clucking and I felt sorry for him. So I went shoplifting with him and ended up using with him. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> but I remember scoring. I scored on the road I now live on. And I had these bits in my hand, and I, we were walking back to this dry house to use. Um, and I was devastated. I hadn't even used. I had these six and one in my hand, thinking heroin's the problem. I'll just get one. Um, and I had these bits in my hand, and I just looked at them, and I just knew. I knew where I was going. I was on a suspended sentence, a DRR. If I used, I was going to prison. But I could not stop myself. And I just went straight back to where I was. When I left London, straight back to the same feelings, the same behaviours, I was injecting my feet, um, sobbing before I'd even got it in me. And I remember, I know it's a bit graphic, but I remember injecting, it hit the back of my throat and that was it. Nothing. I didn't feel a thing. I've tasted it, that was it. And I thought, oh, gear in Boscombe shit. <laughs> it really is. So anyway, in that time in that treatment centre, Enough of me was gone, enough of my will was gone for me to ask someone to help and really mean it when I said I'd do anything. And she said, are you willing to go to any lengths for victory over your addiction? I said, yeah, because I didn't even know what she wanted me to do, but I would do anything that she wanted me to do. If she'd have asked me to hitchhike to up Everest or whatever, I would have done it because I was just so desperate to not go back to where I'd just come from. And... Um, she whipped me through the steps, there was no mucking about, and I really, really um, appreciate the time and energy she spent in helping me through the steps and then sponsoring me and helping me to practice these principles because um, I didn't have a clue. You know, I thought I knew so much, having, you know, thinking I'm really clever, I've been to university, I've been in treatment all these times, I fucking know what they, sorry, I know what they, they teach you, but I couldn't apply any of it. And I literally had to be taught how to live. I remember ringing my sponsor up one day and I just went, I can't get out of bed. And like, she literally guided me, get up, get on your knees, read your readings, blah, 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 gratitude list, ring a couple of people, get in the shower and get up and get out. And I was like, it sounds so simple. <laughs> so, um, you know, she guided me and I, you know, at that time I didn't think there would be any way I could ever repay the energy and love and care that she showed me but now I get it because she done that for me so that I do that for someone else that's how I repay her um, so yeah she whipped me through the steps um, quickly um, and I did learn some stuff about myself at step 5 stuff I didn't know, stuff I wasn't aware of like that I was prideful and arrogant but um, what I know about myself is that I turn most of my stuff inward so I d I'm not really blaming of other people. I'm not really resentful particularly, although there was plenty of it, to be honest. But it wasn't that I was outwardly angry at you. I was angry at me and full of guilt and shame and regrets. And um, for me, the massive shift, the, this spiritual awakening came for me at step eight and nine. And um, when I... When I wrote the list of people I'd harmed, I wrote it exactly as I was directed, which was who I'd harmed, what I'd done to hurt them, and how I would have felt if I was in their shoes. And I really, for the first time, really connected with what I'd done. And um, it was awakening. And um, then going out and putting that right, which is a really long, ongoing process for me, um, there's been justice and forgiveness and 
honesty and love in that. Um, I've been to people to make amends who have not wanted to hear, have not wanted to have a, any kind of relationship with me. They've been willing to hear me, but I've, I think there was, we were freed in that, both of us, when that, when that happened, regardless of the result, it was done, it was cleared. And I've also been to people um, and ex experienced really amazing things. But what I will say about men's, for me, is that having put my family through what I'd put them through for all that time, I didn't go to my family and say those words because they've heard words <coughs> over and over and over and I end up in another treatment centre going, I'm in Plymouth, mm -hmm. I'm in Hamley Helpstead, I'm in Bournemouth, I'm in London. You know, all different treatment centres because I've gone missing, I've gone on the missing. And um, part of my amends to my mum's friend, my mum's best friend, was to ring my mum and not lose contact and not disappear and give her a bit of peace of mind. But it's been in my actions with my family. As some of you know, you know, my brother's been ill a couple of times in recovery, really seriously ill. And what I needed to do in that was to show up and not make that about me. You know, to, to give my family support, my mum, my brother, you know, my whole family. You know, and, and we've, you know, reunited in, you know, our families heal in this too. Um, yeah, so that was a really powerful thing, that step eight and nine process. Um, so my sponsor took me through the rest of the steps and I set about building a life, I guess, you know, with these principles. And... Um, I'd done some simple stuff that I really couldn't be bothered to do, like go to college and get a voluntary job and stuff like that. But that stuff taught me about responsibility and about um, showing up. Um, and I, I learned stuff I didn't know, you know, so full of I think I know, but I didn't know a lot of stuff, um, which led me to get a job. Um, which has led me to be able to do nice things like go on holiday and get a driving licence and all that nice stuff. Quite engaged in recovery. Um, my partner, who I mentioned I met in the first treatment centre, he um, went to prison and I went to treatment. We were co-defendants. Um, and I think that was the only way that we were going to get clean, potentially, because... If Nick goes to prison, I take drugs in, and if I go to treatment, Nick brings drugs to me. And um, we just, although we loved each other, we both desperately wanted to be clean, we couldn't do that together. And I think by being apart for a bit, we had a chance at recovery, and thank God, God willing, he got it there and I got it here, and we've been able to come back together in recovery. Um, and that's pretty rare, I know. Um, and we've been able to have a relationship. He's like a person I didn't know. You know, he's like a new partner in many respects. I suppose I am too, because we've never known each other, apart from that really small bit at the beginning, known each other clean. Um, and it's good. It's good. Um, so, yeah, there's lots of nice things. We've got a safe, secure home. I say that a lot. I'm really grateful for that, because I didn't have that. I was saying to Morgan earlier our flat in London, it had no, no windows, the door was hanging off and there was a 
engine in the front room at one point. It was just like hoarders. I think that's a sign of mental illness. You just hoard everything. Um, but I'm really grateful to not live the life we led. You know, it was dangerous, it was ruthless. Um, there was no half measures in our using, and what we've discovered in recovery is there's no half measures in recovery either. Um, also, in recovery, I've, you know, changed sponsorships and changed sponsorship and gone through the steps again, and it's been a, a whole new experience. And I've learnt so much in here that I've applied to my life. You know, I feel like I've grown up here, and I remember, you know, one of our home groups saying, you know, all you've actually got is your current experience. You know, I went through the steps when I got clean, but I've gone through the steps in recovery and learned a whole new realm of stuff about myself and I think just been, you know, sort of propelled into another level of, I think, consciousness. Um, and I'm loving that process. Um, I think when I first started taking drugs, I just wanted to be happy, I just wanted to feel okay. And anyone that remembers me when I first came in, I just was not okay. Here, clean and sober, not all right. Um, but I've learned to be all right. I've learned that um, no matter what comes my way, I can deal with it. I don't think God gives you anything you can't handle. And um, what I do know is that I'm surrounded by um, a fellowship of, of people and a, a handful and a home group of people that I hold really close and dear that um, have seen me through the tough times, but I also know um, that a God of my own understanding that is in me has held me throughout the good, bad and indifferent. Um, I just want it to feel okay, and I do. I do feel okay. And I remember saying um, to like Dean and Alan and Zion that, when will I feel okay? And I remember Dean saying, well, it took me at least a couple of years, if I'm honest. <laughs> like, oh, God, I don't think I can. But the truth is, it probably took a little while for me to be all right. But um, for someone who thought they knew it all, I guess I was a slow learner in some ways. Yeah. Um, I'm really happy to be in my home group. This has been a consistent part of my recovery from the beginning. What I know about my recovery now is that consistency and discipline is paramount and um, you don't get a day off from it. I never finish a share saying what I think you should do because you're going to do whatever you want to do so crack on and um, <laughs> if you want any help there's people that will help you. Um, thank you all. I'll leave it there.